God, we just lean into what you're speaking with, what you, what you have spoken. We lean into your staring into a bronze dull mirror. God, thank you for what you asked from us as we turn to that and you change us and you move us from glory to glory. God, so thank you that it's not our ability, but it's about our heart. That is bless every heart in this room. For some of you, you just feel like it's natural for you in the culture of seeking the Lord. It is just natural for you to do it and you just feel like so confident in it. There's others you just feel like, I don't want to do this. I just bless you to know it's not on how good you are at it. It's on your willingness to turn toward Him. The veil is taken away in our turning to Him. So I bless you to believe. Just, just pray a blessing of encouragement that we believe His Word this morning. It is God who sent light. Let light shine in the darkness that He has given us. Not we have cried it for ourselves, not that we have gone someplace and we found and discovered it, but He has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So we thank you guys. We get ready to open our hearts this morning to hear your word and to hear what's in Jared's heart. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we bless Jared. Can you come up here, man? God, we bless Jared. We not only honor the message uh, from his heart that he's going to share with us now. God, we, we honor the message uh, that his life and the way that he just wants to cultivate closeness with you and connection with you. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for the men and the women in this room that have just said, Jesus, you can have it all. We recognize that is what Jared has said and we honor that right now in him. God, I pray that uh, you would just Pour out your spirit on him, in him, and through him today. May he sense your pleasure. May he sense your kindness and your closeness as he shares what is in his heart. Jerry, we love you. We value it. We just bless you. And we open our hearts to receive that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read a couple of scriptures before we get started. As you're worshiping, I feel like the Lord is reminding me of John 17. Yeah. Let's just read. We're just going to read a, a good chunk of this real quick. We'll read verse 20 to the end. This is not what I'm talking about at all. I just feel like we should read this together. Where is it? verse 20 it says I do not ask for these only but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one I in them and you in me that they may be Come perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, these know that you have sent me. I made them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known 
that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Holy Spirit, like John prayed last night, I asked that the love that you have for Jesus, you put that love inside of us, Lord. Father, as we behold you and gaze upon you, that you give us a window into the love between the Trinity shares, and Lord, that we would share in that in that love. Yeah, I want to talk this morning about cultivating enduring love. I want to remind everyone about something really important and profound that John said last night that we don't fall deeper in love by trying harder um, I think John said we fall deeper in love by enjoying more the more we enjoy the Lord the deeper in love that we fall and so when we talk about cultivating love um, my fear would be that there is a place of just like performance and effort and crying my teeth out, I'm going to be in love with Jesus. But it doesn't really work like that. As anyone who has tried that will know, it doesn't really work that way. So Father, I pray this morning that as we ask ourselves the question, how do we cultivate a steadfast love? How do we cultivate an enduring love? I pray that any spirit of performance or earning would be gone in Jesus' name, and Lord, that the free grace that is a gift from you, that supernatural empowerment, the love that you have for the Son would be inside of us, that our hearts would long to love you more. Amen. Someone do me a favor and read uh, Hosea 6, not the whole chapter. Um, Maybe just verse four to six. Let me stand. Move around a bit. Anybody? Jose, I know it's a hard book to find. Prophets. Yeah, go for it. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> truthfully I feel like John covered so much last night that I feel like I have less of a teaching this morning and more of a personal plea <laughs> from my heart <laughs> out of Hosea 6 um, I want to tell for those of you who aren't familiar a brief a brief summary of maybe some of my life story starting at day one um, it's a joke uh, after high school I went, or sorry, rewind. During high school, I had like an amazing high school experience like in the Christian community front. I know that's not everyone's experience, but when I reflect, I had this like amazing community through Young Life. We were like sharing life together, building deep friendships. We would meet on the weekends and like study the Bible, pray the word, all this stuff. It was unusual. And uh, that lasted throughout like all three to four years of my high school experience. And it was a pretty uh, formative and impactful time. Uh, so much so that like some of those friendships I still, I still carry with me today. And not only that, but it's probably like a dozen of us that were in that kind of core group. And many of us like 
continue to walk with the Lord. And I think after high school, all of us went in to like pursue some sort of uh, missions or ministry opportunity. It was so like formative in our lives. Um, and a lot of a lot of my friends now are serving as pastors, youth leaders, young life leaders, whatever things of that nature. And so, um, after high school, I went and did a discipleship school with YWAM, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with YWAM. Um, and once again, had this like epic time. The Lord was like speaking identity and destiny into my life, unlocking um, the gifts and the callings in my life in a way that I hadn't really experienced before. And then everyone around me was experiencing that as well. And then for like four years after that, I led um, or helped lead other discipleship schools and watched that same thing happen over and over again. People's lives transformed, getting set free from their past, uh, stepping into their identity calling and just getting like lit on fire with the love for Jesus. It was an amazing experience. Uh, but as for many people, as I saw uh, get set on fire for the Lord, I think I probably saw an equal amount of people. Their love was like, it was like they were in that mission school for six months. And then like a year later, it's like, I don't even know if they're Christian anymore. Um, and we can kind of say that with laughing a little bit, like, haha, it happens. But it's actually really heartbreaking. Yeah. It's one of the most heartbreaking things to witness someone you poured your life into, someone you've discipled, spent time with. And not only that, but I mean, I feel like in 2020, it was like every other week I was finding someone who I was like on the mission field with. I'd find them and be like, are you like even a Christian anymore? Like what happened? Like you're like way off the rails. Um, so either that happened, or I guess the option number two would be like, I would have these people who I walked really closely with in community, we're ministering together, we're like seeing like people, I don't know, get saved, set free, delivered, all this stuff, and like a couple years later, it's like they've like boiled down their faith into this like mediocre, managed lifestyle that does not affect their life at all. And their love just kind of like grew cold. And... Um, I just want to say, like, please do not hear any shame or condemnation in my voice. Um, but I imagine that for, like, all of us in this room, there's probably a couple people that we can think of who are in the same boat, who maybe burned for a season, and then, and then something happened, and that love for Jesus just kind of, like, died down. Now, I want to, like, caveat here and say, like, once again, this isn't like a judgment on people who uh, have lost their love for Christ. And also we have to recognize like it's a long story, right? There are a lot of people that I've watched go through this path and uh, I have tremendous hope that their love for Christ will be ignited once again. So no judgment here. But I want us to ask ourselves the question, how do we cultivate an enduring love for Jesus that isn't just for a season. Because it's not uncommon, as we've all experienced, for people to have uh, a period of time where they're really burning and then quickly fade. And uh, the scripture we just read, I just think I got so much louder. Woo! Thanks, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real quick, can someone grab me a glass of water? Somebody do that. Thanks, Lee. That'd be amazing. Um, oh. Wait. Water bottle. Unlock. Give me a second here. My pet food is when people are speaking, they drink into the microphone. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. <clears throat> so turning to Hosea. Who who can give me like just start shout out? Let's go through like a brief history of the children of Israel. Starting with Abraham. <laughs> Starting with Abraham. Alright, we got Abraham. What happens after Abraham? Isaac. Isaac. Alright. 
They end up in, where do they end up? Egypt. Egypt. Great. What happens after Egypt? Yeah, we got Moses. God raises up a deliverer, brings them out of Egypt. All right. Cloud by day, fire by night. Cloud by day, fire by night. Epic stuff. Yeah, we, we start to get into the law. Moses gets the Ten Commandments, then we get numbers, we get the whole law. Uh, well, not, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alright, and then we go into, I mean, I'm kind of skipping judges, but then we go into a period of kings, okay? So you remember who the first king of Israel was? Saul, yeah. Saul, no good. But then we get... Uh, <laughs> Let's just call it like it is, all right? <laughs> um, after Saul, who comes next? David. David. All right. Someone, someone described to me David's rule. What was it like? What happened? Expansion. Expansion. Increase. Increase. It got a little tricky in the middle. Gets a little tricky in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, we got a house of worship. We've got day and night worship. Via David, David's uh, brings the ark back, brings the ark back, sets up morning and evening ministry to the Lord. They're experiencing like political success. David is conquering enemies. The kingdom is prospering. Uh, and then after David comes Solomon. Solomon continues to prosper. It's like he's like the wealthiest man on earth, or something like that. Um, kings and queens are coming to visit him to just get wisdom and also take his money. <laughs> uh, okay, but then after Solomon, there's a long lineage of kings. Does anyone remember what happens? There's a, there's a big like event that happens somewhere in this line. Maybe that was too big. Isn't, isn't the nation divided? The nation is divided, yes. Thanks, John. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, the nation gets divided to quickly summarize, after after um, Solomon, there's like hardly any good kings. They're all like there's a few, but they're most of them are turning to idol worship, setting up pagan pagan altars to um, the surrounding nations' idols. They're commingling with nations they shouldn't be commingling with, and making political alliances that they shouldn't be making with, and um, it leads to a split in the nation which is where the book of Hosea comes in. The, the kingdoms are split. The king is, well, I'll tell you, and it'll uh, tell you, there's the kings of Judah. In, in chapter one, it says the days of Uzziah. And then we got Jeroboam, who was like, I mean, all the kings, were, most of the kings were pretty bad, but Jeroboam was like maybe the worst. Um, the most wicked king. Okay, so in the midst of this split comes the book of Hosea. The prophet Hosea, God would often speak to his people, not often, he would always speak to his people through a prophet. And a lot of times this message carried uh, kind of judgment and kind of like a call to repentance, but also married to this call, this uh, remembrance and promise of a future hope, right? So is anyone familiar with the premise of the book of Hosea? What's, what's going on? I thank you. Thank you for just saying no. <laughs> just honesty. <laughs> Can anyone tell me? There's a, there's a specific image that uh, is strong throughout Hosea that God uses to illustrate his relationship with Israel. Does anyone know? An unfaithful wife. Yes. Gomer. Yes. So God tells Hosea basically to go marry a prostitute, and she's going to be unfaithful to him. Uh, how would you like that commandment from the Lord? <laughs> hey, come here. Someone who's going to be unfaithful to you. Um, and he says that this is going to serve as a symbol, an image of his, his relationship between him and Israel. Okay. So skipping forward. Now, we can't go through the whole book right now. We probably should, but we can't. Because um, there's some good stuff in here. But God's in, indictment towards Israel is that they have, um, they have lost their love for, for God, 
for, for Yahweh and that they've mingled with idols and they've given themselves to these, once again, political alliances that they shouldn't be following. And kind of one of his main indictments is actually that they've just like forgotten about God. Uh, the word forget shows up like probably like 15 times in this book. He's just like, you just forgot about my covenant. You forgot about my commandments and you forgot that like, I'm, I called you out of Egypt and I like redeemed you and made you this people. Okay, so then in verse four, there's this like, or sorry, yeah, verse four of chapter six, what Brad read earlier. This like, um, I was reading this probably, it was actually in March, I was in Dubai and I read this and I just like, felt like I got a window into God's heart, like briefly. You know, when you're reading the word and it's just like you've read it a thousand times and all of a sudden it's like living and active and you're like, whoa, I think God is speaking right now. Okay, so he says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud. Your love is like a morning cloud. So he says, your love is like this thing that's here for just a minute. It's here for a minute, it, you know, it's cloudy one day, sunny the next, gone. Like the dew that goes away early. Once again, comparing it to this early morning dew, it's there on the ground in the morning, but then by, by midday, it's gone. Therefore, I have hewn them. Am I saying that word correctly? Hewn? Hewn. Hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. And then he contrasts it. He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so he's creating this uh, contrast through imagery. He says, your love is like what? Like a morning cloud. Your love is like the morning dew. It's here briefly. Uh, but then you forget about me. <laughs> and I, what I want, says God says, what I want is a steadfast love, a love that remains. So we got to ask ourselves, what, how do we, as the people of God, cultivate uh, an enduring, remaining love? How do we cultivate a steadfast love? Give me one second. you guys think if you think about once again not trying to cast judgment or condemnation here if you think about either in our own lives or the lives of people that we know and love why does love why does our love grow cold what happens in that process open ended question yeah what did you say disappointment disappointment yeah what, what do you mean um, maybe things didn't work out the way that we thought they would, and so our our hope was maybe in something, and then they got disappointed, and it caused me not to know if I could trust. Yeah. Yeah. Distraction, lack of attention, failure to invest, intimacy, most important things. Yeah. Struggling to stay what? Stay in the word. Stay in the word, yeah. Yeah, it's a big one. What? Offense. Offense. Whoa, whoa. We forget his goodness, yeah. Uh, For me, I I struggled with this a lot in the past. Mm. A lot of what Brad said where I was disappointed with some stuff, like you were saying with some friends that walked away. Mm. But the biggest thing, the root cause was that no one ever taught me how to take charge of my relationship with the Lord and the joy. Like, we say that feelings can't be commanded and that joy is just something that will come over time. But there really is ways you can invest and that you can start nobody ever taught you. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is 
I wish, um, I wish badly that I could give a comprehensive list of how to cultivate love between us and Christ. Um, but as I was praying about this, um, I felt like there were three things that like really, really came to mind. Once again, this isn't uh, all extensive. What's up? Oh, me too. Um, yeah yeah I'd like to talk about these three things and then I would like to um, have a time of prayer and response in a bit um, and yeah I'll talk about that more in a minute but when I was thinking about like how do we how do we Okay, let me back up. I wish I had a whiteboard to draw a graph here. Sometimes when we think about like our spiritual life, I think maybe a lot of us operate under the assumption that like our early years are our brightest years for our love for Christ. And that life is gonna get more complicated and our our passion and our zeal is just gonna like trend downward. Um, and we'll always reflect on our, you know, how many times have you guys heard people say, uh, like, those young kids are so on fire, <laughs> or like, those young people, you know, when I was, when I was a new believer, and I was like, so on fire for Jesus, and, and there's a reality to that, like, let's be honest, there's a reality to that, that your early days in Christ, like, there's that first love, um, that's really beautiful, and I'm not trying to neglect that, but, uh, it, but it's almost like built off this assumption that, you know, as we grow older, things are just gonna inevitably get more inevitably get more complicated, and that like we'll live a more managed passion for Christ. Um, and I was just thinking about that one day, and I was like, why do we believe that? Why do we believe that like uh, our our zeal and our love should trend downward the longer our life goes? Like, why isn't the other way around? Shouldn't love grow? I mean, didn't God design love to grow? Um, didn't he design it to trend upward the longer with him? And so I've been kind of like chewing on this. Like, how do we, how do we position ourselves to actually, uh, create a life where, you know, when I'm 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, that my love and passion and zeal and tenderness towards God is actually stronger than it has ever been. All right. So uh, three things. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. John talked about the first one last night, beholding continually. Daily dim beholdings um, of the beauty and the majesty of God. I I was telling John and Guy and Brad the other day, I was reading this, uh, I've been reading this book from Ronald Rollheiser. He's a great, great spiritual writer. And they're like just these little devotions on prayer. And uh, he talks this one about, he has, it's titled, I think, The Saving Power of Ritual. And he uh, talks about, he compares like married couples. Uh, I think he says like married couples who uh, gave each other like a kiss before they left for the day and went out for their day and then a kiss before they went to sleep at night. The like versus couples who only acted upon physical intimacy when the feelings arose in spontaneity. They're, they're uh, contrasting those two the tendency of marriages that lasted was like way higher than people that just did it even when it was just like kind of this ritualistic act. And now, all that to say, like, our heart, you know, should be in our spiritual disciplines, right? And they, our heart should be awakened in the, in the prayer room, in our, in our secret place. But like John was saying last night, if we're being honest, a lot of our times in the Lord are just kind of like these dim Beholdings. It's just weak prayer where we feel like, like John was saying, our prayers just reflect off the ceiling and we're just like, what are we doing? Has anyone ever felt like you're in like a quiet time or something and you're just like, what the heck am I doing here? Come on, yeah, just be honest. <laughs> yeah, John's like, yeah. Um, but it's actually that daily continuing of that that 
positions us to grow in love over the long haul. Yeah. Um, and it's that continued boldness. So I, I, I would say number one, like we gotta protect, we gotta protect the secret place. Don't abandon the secret place or the position yourself to behold continually. Because I think that. I mean, once again, I'm not trying to be shameful here, but when I talk to people who have like fallen out of love with Christ, it's like, it's like, okay, have you, are you like spending time with the Lord in quiet? No, I don't feel like it. Okay, well, that's probably like issue number one. And once again, I'm not trying to be shameful here, but I'm just saying like, once again, if you're comparing this to a marriage relationship, it's like there are components of your relationship that you must protect in order to ensure that your love is going to last. Right, if you just are acting in spontaneity and feeling all the time, it's like that thing is going to dissolve eventually. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. How many questions or thoughts on that? Yeah, what's up? Just from John's notes last night, so we often get discouraged in our personal times of devotion because they feel dry and we're easily distracted. Be encouraged, small, faint, and dim behold days will, in God's timing, transform you. God is at work little by little. Yeah, so good. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a seed that goes into the ground. And then after a very long time, it creates it. There's a tree and the birds of the air find their rest and their shade in the tree. But if you've ever... Okay, I used to work in a greenhouse for three years. Slaving in Cobra's greenhouse. And I watched a lot of seeds grow. And it took a long time. And yeah. for many days... There would be seeds in these little, you know, cubes of soil, and you'd water them every day, and you'd water them every day, and the sun would come, and it would be like, three months would go by, and you'd be like, nothing's happening, <laughs> nothing's here. It just feels like I'm just doing this thing. I'm just pouring water, pouring water. The sun is shining. I'm turning up the heat in the greenhouse. Nothing's happening. And then like, month five rolls around, and it's like, oh, there's a sprout there. Oh, and then like, you know. Easter was always like the big deal at the greenhouse. It was like, oh my gosh, there's a, oh, what's the one everyone? The flower one that's on Easter? Lilies. Lilies, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, there's lilies everywhere. Everything smells like, I can smell the fragrance of the flowers. It's everywhere. Um, but I didn't know that. You know, it took some time. That's good. All right, so continue on beholding. I actually had this one. It was written down number one, but uh, number one was remembering Okay, how do we call it enduring love? Remember the steadfast enduring love of God. I think that's actually maybe the most important thing. Yeah. I've been, I've been, uh, I feel like for the past year, the Lord's been like taking me on a journey of learning how to remember, learning how to cultivate remembrance and build rhythms of remembrance in my life. Like I said in the book of Hosea, that God's like, one of his biggest uh, judgments on the children of Israel is that they just forgot what God did. They just forgot what he has done. They forgot his goodness. They forgot his law, his commandments. And they got in the midst of forgetting, that was when their hearts and their lives were prone to be distracted and drawn to other idols. I was, um, last week I went to the wilderness for like 24 hour period. If you're friends with me, you know this is not uncommon. Uh, ben Woodard gets it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like feeling very tired and exhausted and like burnt out. And I was just like, man, I just need to get away and go pray and be with the Lord. And I was just, how many of you guys ever just felt like you're just like swimming in a pit of discouragement? You're just like, everything is horrible. Uh, God doesn't understand me. Um, he doesn't know what I'm going through. His promises will never come true. <laughs> like everything that he pro- everything has been prophesied over my life is just a failure. You know, I'll, I'll be honest here. Sometimes I've like I've been like reflecting on promises of God. Like, man, I'm like Saul. God's like forsaken me. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like the bad one here. It's just like, okay, so that's what I was feeling. Uh, I go out to the I go out to the woods. I start to spend some time with the Lord. And I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to just open my journal and read through the last six months of my life. And I just began to like weep as I just remembered what God had done just the last six months. And I feel like the Lord just kind of like dropped this phrase in my spirit. He's just like, 
Jared, so much burnout is just a result of forgetfulness. Like we just forget. And I was just like, man. So I was like, God, I gotta learn how to like cultivate rhythms and patterns of remembrance in my life. How do I set how do I set the Lord always before me so that I'm actually remembering his goodness and his mercy? I've been stuck on Psalm 32. I know I'm just like jumping right now, but Psalm 32. I'm gonna find it real quick. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Many are the sorrows, I'm skipping down to verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I just like read that verse like this is probably a couple months ago, I read that, I read verse one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And I was just like, full stop, full stop. Like, I am the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I was just like, hold on a second. Like, this is my reality. This is real life. And I think so much of our uh, coldness of heart, we just like forget the gospel. We just like forget that yeah. <laughs> like, blessed is the one who against the Lord counts no iniquity. It's like, oh, the Lord counts no iniquity against me. Great. Um, <laughs> Great. And so, we got to learn how to remember the steadfast love of God. I, I don't know how to do this fully yet, but I feel like I'm just on this journey of learning how to cultivate rhythms of remembrance and reflection. This is another, like, maybe bunny trail, but our, our lives, mo- modern life, is just, like, so, it's like a conspiracy against reflection. Like, nobody, everything wants us to just, like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you go to work, you do your, you know, I do my homework, and then it's like, you're just tired, and it's just like, oh, I should just, like, watch a movie and, like, never reflect on my day or my life at all. The, the, the ancients, um, like the old, you know, the church fathers and all those people, the ancients, uh, they had this, yeah, <laughs> um, they had this, they, they would pray this prayer called the prayer of examen, and every day they would just like go through their day and just reflect like what happened today, what did, what did, where did I miss God today, where did he show up? Where did I miss him? And I think like so much of our lives, like I said, it's not, it's not like maybe our personal lives or just the culture we live in. It's just like, it's just like working against us to ever reflect or remember. It wants us to just like be distracted, be entertained, watch another TV show, even our times with the Lord. Like, let's be honest. Like, like sometimes it's just like, I just want to turn on worship music, turn on another sermon, something like that. And it's like, how often are we giving ourselves the space and the silence to actually come to terms with what's happening in our lives and remember and reflect what's happening inwardly and come to terms with those things and bring them before the Lord. Preach. 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 All right. All right, last thing. I was in... Seattle, Team Team McCoy over here, and this is probably when was twenty twenty one? Yeah, twenty twenty one. For those of you who don't know, 2020, 2021 were some pretty pretty hard years. I think for all of us, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the world. Yeah. The world, and I think specifically in our community, was maybe extra hard. Um, I, I personally, I just left. I just left YM. I was in a major transition in my life, and I was like trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. Um, not no, not so much in like a career kind of vibe, but just kind of like you know when you transition, and you're just like, oh my, my whole life is just ahead of me now once again. Uh, like, what's this going to look like? And 
Brad gave me this, uh, actually a marketing tool. I wish we had a picture of it. Uh, it's called a Flipside Roadmap. How many, are you guys familiar with the Flipside Roadmap? Hey, all the small business people. <laughs> Shout out to them. Um, the, the concept of the Flipside Roadmap is that you start at the end to determine what you're gonna do now. So you have an end in mind, and it helps you determine what you're gonna do now. All right, fast forward. I'm with Brad again, and Guy. We're in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, uh, at this like <laughs> leaders retreat. I'm not really sure how I found myself there. I think I was like at least 20 years younger than everyone else in the room. Um, what was that? Yeah. Um, okay, we're in Chambersburg. Like I said, how many, this was probably like last May. Okay, 13 months ago, boom. Once again, uh, I would, you know, 2020, 2021, really hard years, transitioning, and over time, God is healing me. I'm beginning to like, become more whole and dream with God again. Okay, it's a beautiful thing. In Chambersburg, uh, Chambersburg specifically, like that area of the state is like a really, it's like a spiritual pilgrimage. I almost said a spiritual heritage playground. That's what it feels like. It's just like, it's just like, it was so significant in my early walk with the Lord. Uh, like when I was first out of high school, uh, I was like doing a worship school out there in Harrisburg and I kept like returning to Harrisburg for the next like, I don't know, three years, like every year I would be there and just had these like amazing encounters with the Lord and God was like epic stories of people speaking prophetic words over my life that kind of like, I mean, I'm like living in all of those today um, from words that were spoken, you know, six, seven years ago. Anyway, so Chambersburg, Harrisburg is kind of this really significant place. So just naturally, I was kind of like feeling the wind of God just like inviting me to dream with him for the first time in a long time. And uh, so I have some time away and we're, in, we're at this retreat and I had this idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a list of 100 dreams that I want, I want in my life. 100 dreams to just dream with God and just like let it rip, you know. Um, <laughs> let it rip. Uh, give me one second. Okay, so the the spoiler alert of this story is that I don't think I ever made it to a hundred, sadly. But I'm getting through all these dreams. I'm writing about like uh, you know family and property and music and worship and missions and all this stuff that's in my heart to do. I'm just like, I'm just like no reservation. You know, I'm just like, I'm going to start a seminary. It's a missionary college and I'm going to own like a hundred acres and we're going to like make it a retreat center. And we're going to like also send missionaries to the ends of the earth. And there was like no, you know, no stipulations on this. And, uh, I take a pause Month later, I'm like, oh, I should pick this back up again, start dreaming again. And I feel the Holy Spirit just like pause me. He's just like, reminds me of the flip side roadmap that Brad gave in Seattle. And he says like, how about you dream about who you want to become? Not the things you want to do. Dream about who you want to become. And I thought about the flip side roadmap. And I was like, okay, let's think about who I want to be at the end of my life. What do I want to be marked with when I'm 60, 70, 80, 90 years old? What do I want people to say at my funeral? What do I want them to remember me about? Are they going to say things like, when Jared was 20, he really loved the Lord. Um, when Jared was young, he, he really gave it all for Jesus. Or when I'm 80, and I was like, I just remember like writing down, I was like, Lord, when I'm 80, I want to like, I want to. I want to be tender and compassionate. I want to be in love. I want to be more in love than I've ever been in my whole life. I want to think about the gospel and weep 
because of the beauty of the goodness of God. I want to get in the prayer room and just like be on my face in humility and tears, just like pouring out worship to Jesus, even though I've been doing it for 50 years. You know, it's like, I just, how do I get that in my heart? And so I started thinking about the end. And I was like, how do I position myself now so that when I'm at the end, I'm still like this. I'm not, I'm not decreasing in love, but I'm growing in love. My love becomes steadfast. My love becomes, it endures to the end. It makes it. And not just makes it, but, but flourishes and thrives. Yeah. One of my favorite things about Guy Glass is that you get into a prayer room with him and it's just like, I don't think I've ever seen him not cry <laughs> in a prayer room. He's just so moved by the beauty of God that it just brings him to tears. I was thinking about what kind of prayers do I want to pray when I'm 80? I was thinking about Jesus. It says that he prayed with tears and groanings that were too deep for words. I was like, man, I don't, how do I, how do I position my life now so that when I'm 80, 90 years old, I'm, I'm praying tearful, groaning, deep prayers that are from the heart and not just like these ritualistic, dead, I've been doing this forever kind of prayers. Because if you follow Jesus for even a little bit, you know that it's just like, it's just easy. It's just easy to fall into just like mundane, mediocre spirituality where we're just like worried about all the cares of our world and all the things going on in our life. I get it. I've, I feel like the past month of my life, I've just been like swallowed with worries about, about you know, schoolwork and work I have to get done and house and all this stuff. And it's just like, once again, it's like all of our modern life is conspiring against us to just like live these like weighed down heavy lives that are loveless and cold. And it's just like, how do we position our lives that we're living with first love fire forever? And so I guess my third point here is craft a vision for who you want to become. Start at the end. Who, you know, think about who we want to be when we're, when we're, what do we want people to be saying in our funeral? What do we want people to say about our walk with Jesus? And this is the last, I think this is the last thing I'll say. And then Michael and Hannah, are you guys able to, we'll do some ministry time here. There are like, there have been no uh, shortage of like, excuse me, celebrity pastors, church scandals, people who were like pinnacles in the faith who just like had major downfalls. I don't think I need to like list anyone because we're all pretty aware of them, I think. In our generation specifically, there's just been like so many. But recently, um, Tim Keller, how many of you guys are not familiar with Tim Keller? Anybody? Cool. Tim Keller was a... Not. That's great. Tim Keller was a pastor in New York. He recently passed away. He had... He started like this amazing ministry in New York City. Reached thousands of people. And, uh, you know, for a lot of his life, he just... I think he kind of like... He was, you know, he was famous. He wrote a lot of books, all this stuff. But no major scandals, nothing like that. And when he died... When he died, like, a couple weeks ago, I was, like, weirdly moved by his death. Um, I never met him. I never knew the guy. Never went to his church. I think I read one, two of his books. And I was so moved by his passing. And I was, like, kind of reflecting, like, Lord, why is this affecting me so much? And I was just like, look at the legacy of one life of faithfulness. Like, look at everything that happened in his wake because he just, like, ran the race faithfully and made it to the end. Like, there was no major scandals. There was no, like, uh, you know, he didn't, like, leave his wife or something. And not only that, but he, he stayed faithful to, to his call. And I just started thinking about, like, what would happen in the world? What would happen? What would our generation's perception of Christianity be? What would our children's perception of Christianity be? If in 50 years, like, everyone who's in this room was still, like, madly in love with Jesus and lived faithful lives that were free of scandal and integrity and just, like, put a stake in the ground and said, like, 
Yes, many things are going to happen in life. <laughs> Lord knows things are going to happen in life. <laughs> but, but I'm not going to let my love for Jesus. I'm going to do everything I can to meditate, dwell, and behold the beauty of Jesus and let my love for Jesus go on an upward path and just grow and grow and grow and grow until the day I die. I started thinking about like my nephews and my future kids and grandkids and uh, the kids in this church and just like what kind of precedent would that set if there was just lives of faithfulness that made it to the end. So, mm. here's what I want to do. The Jephones could come back. Um, is this making sense? Yeah. Mm. Brad, Guy, and John. I know I didn't ask you about this. I put you on the spot. John, John is deep in study right now. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'd love for us to just enter into time of response. And I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. My hope would be that you would leave this place with some level of determination and whether that's writing something down in a journal, making some sort of physical reminder um, that you're in this journey for the long haul and that there is I feel like one of the biggest things that that burdens my heart is just for people to know, it's so simple, but just for people to know that our love for Jesus, it can, it can increase, yeah. it can grow. It doesn't need to be, uh, like I feel like for so long I felt like, how do I just maintain and preserve the thing I once had? Um, and I just want to give us all permission and freedom that we can position our lives in such a way that our love for Jesus can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And through the dim beholdings and the weak prayer and the things that often seem so mundane, we can become people of steadfast love. So... I don't think it needs to be everyone, but Guy and John and Brad, as you guys feel led, as a few people that I recognize in my life who have inspired me in this area and I can look to as older figures in my life who I want to model, if you feel led or, or if you would like prayer, I just feel like there's something that, uh, sort of generational blessing that could happen here. Um, and praying for us to become people with steadfast love. I don't, even, I don't think it needs to be everyone. But I'll just say as you guys feel led by the Holy Spirit, or if someone in the room just like, you just like really want that, just like go for it. Jared was asking us earlier to think about that um, the picture of the couple and what it takes. And I just felt like I had this wow moment. It's been growing um, from what he was saying. I think in, we've mistaken sustainability for maintenance. And cultivating is all about growth. You just said that again, Jared. Like, I think that we need to really cast down any idea 
of maintenance and maintaining in our relationship with God because if I think about my connection with Adrian, I can't just maintain as a static thing. If it's not growing, it's waning. And I, I don't want to be in a place for my love for her. Like those places of ritual, like uh, those things are out of commitment. They're, that commitment is, is sincere. And so there's sometimes that the enemy dupes us in thinking, if I don't have that strong feeling, then it's not real. But that's not true. It's like because of commitment and because of covenant. And so I just want to pray this uh, before we move into what you're just saying. But God, every place that we've mistaken something that will last and be steadfast or something that needs to be the same. God, we don't want our love with you to remain the same. God, we, 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 I could tell in the room when Jared was saying, God, we want to be at 80 and 90. We want our love to be more, more hungry. And God, I just think about the prayer of Grandpa Jim. God, made me hungrier for your day than I was yesterday. When we wake up, God, give us the courage to pray that again. Go, So God, we just cast down any false understanding that is not sustainable for us to be hot in love. We say cause our love to increase. God, I pray that any maintenance plan that we are on would be thrown away today in Jesus' name. Would you deconstruct that in our hearts that we would cultivate and grow an increase in love in Jesus' name. So if you would want to receive prayer, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Just really simply to say that what Jared is talking about, what Brad just mentioned, is possible. I'm 64 years old. I've been in public ministry for 45 years. last six weeks of my life have been the most spiritually intense and meaningful my entire life. And it's nothing about me. Our God is faithful. If we just stay postured in His presence, there's going to be days where you think nothing happens. There's going to be other moments where after a long period of time there's a sudden have you ever noticed that suddenly it's come after a long time of silence? But then when it happens, you know what happened. Yeah, that's right. I love Nancy more today than I did 43 years ago when we got married. The faithfulness of God at times needs correction. Don't, don't get mad at God when He has to jerk you up short. He saved me several times. But I got enamored with the flash new thing. I got bored with just dimly beholding. And everything in me wanted to go after the flashy thing. God in His grace and love jerked me up short. He disciplined me because He loves me. He took me from my high horse to a humble place. And in His great love and faithfulness, He preserved the process that yields fruitfulness. And so remember, as much as you may think you love God today, He loves you more and His love will sustain you. As much as we believe at times we're faithful, He is so much more faithful. He can be trusted. Don't despair the process. Posture your heart in His presence and trust that He will finish what He's done.